Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the meticulously young, unassumingly hip, and vicariously lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Nice to be with you, Ashley. Thanks, Zach. Olga. I was just thinking, vicariously lay, wouldn't that describe the Jesuits in relation to us? We're vicariously Jesuit. What is this, SAT prep? (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I'm here to do. What's on tap, Zach? Actually, I want to pass Olga. What are we drinking this week? Um, So today I'm excited to say we're drinking some fancy Malbec wine. Um, This morning I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm on drink duty this week for Jesuitical. So I asked my mom if I could get one of her bottles and she contributed this week. So shout out to uh, Francisca Segura for our wine this week. Awesome. On our Patreon page, I I gave some tasting notes for the wine. So if you're looking for uh, wine expertise. Mm -hmm. Ways to impress people at bars. Yes, definitely check it out there. Yeah. All right. Cheers. That is delicious. Thank you, Olga's mom. Uh, And who are we talking to this week, Olga? So this week, uh, we are talking to another comedian. We've got Jeremy McLullen. He is a stand-up comedian from South Carolina, and he was just honored, he was recently just honored as a new face of comedy at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. I follow Jeremy on Twitter, and he is hilarious. He Mm -hmm. has just, like, the best Catholic jokes. He recently converted. He was baptized uh, at the Easter Vigil this past year, and he's just, like, brings this very funny, like, Mm outsider-slash-insider perspective to Catholic jokes. Um, But before that... It's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. First... Pope Francis invited top oil executives from companies like BP and ExxonMobil to come to the Vatican last weekend uh, to talk about energy and the environment. Um, And he encouraged them to look for alternatives to fossil fuels um, to not only bring the one billion people who still lack electricity out of poverty, but to do so in a way that mitigates the worst effects of climate change. I was really pleased to see the Pope not only like put out a, a document like Laudato Si, but also go out and invite people who have direct impacts on things like that mm-hmm. into his house, right? Yep. And so I think that's important an important move by the church. For sure. What's next, Zach? So this is an update to a story that we reported on a few weeks ago where we said that Pope Francis invited uh, 34 bishops from Chile to the Vatican. And after those meetings, um, all of those bishops submitted their resignations, which was very unprecedented. Um, and it was sort of left to, is Pope Francis going to accept these resignations? Um, he, he's accepted three of them. And they were there because of the sex abuse scandal in Chile. Um. That's right. And so Pope Francis had upset a lot of people when he was there visiting Chile um, and people were protesting about Bishop Juan Barros, who victims accused uh, of covering up and witnessing sexual abuse. Um, and Pope Francis basically was like, look, there's no proof. Um, well, Pope Francis accepted that bishop's resignation this week. And so this really does seem to mark a new turning point in the church uh, where we're holding bishops accountable and uh, having them step down from power when they've been accused of and, convic- and like convicted by their peers in the Vatican of covering up sexual abuse. And speaking of sexual violence, there's another story that caught 
uh, your eye, Olga, that you wanted to bring to the table. Right. So there's a new ad in the Italian edition of Vanity Fair magazine, which is taking the Me Too movement to another level. They are featuring um, three women who have suffered persecution, rape and violence due to their faith. Um, So one of the women is a nun from India. Another is a Christian woman from Nigeria. And another one is a woman from Iraq. And this is interesting because it's being sponsored by the Aid to the Church in Need, which is an organization within the Catholic Church. So I wasn't. So it's an ad, right? It's not yes. like Vanity Fair is writing a story. No, no, no. It's an ad that's being featured, and it's being sponsored by the Aid to the Church in Need, which is interesting because I didn't realize that the church was involved in this way, and it's been. It's really promising. The director of the organization, Alessandro Monteduro, said that the goal of this ad is to, yes, the Me Too movement has been really, really pivotal and has helped to shine a light on sexual harassment. But also it ignores a lot of women from marginalized parts of the world, specifically women who suffer persecution because of their religion. And this isn't just about Christian women. One one of the women from Iraq was actually a Yazidi, which is a religious minority there that's been targeted by ISIS. So this is not a specifically Christian problem. It is it is a woman problem um, and it affects people of all faiths. What's next, Ashley? So kind of a change of pace here. Um, Catholic Memes is a very popular Facebook account that uh, generates Catholic memes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I-, I follow them on Facebook. They often have very funny memes. Uh, but this past week, they published a meme that some are describing as anti-Semitic. It uh, shows... Uh, The top part of the meme uh, says, Jews, quote, we finally killed Jesus. Three days later, Jesus. And then it's a picture of Jim from the office, like poking his head through the blinds. Um, So this brings to mind the discredited, denounced idea that the Jews as a whole are responsible for the death of Jesus. Yeah, because there's a history of Jews being subject to persecution and violence um, from from members of the church, um, people hurling slurs of Christ killer um, and other types of things um, that follow this line of thinking that, as you mentioned, was uh, discredited by a Vatican document, Nostra Aetate, and then again by Pope Benedict um, and by countless theologians that the, you cannot hold the Jews as a whole from Jesus's time or the Jews today responsible for Jesus's death. And people Mm -hmm. might say like, oh, these are just memes. It's just a joke. But like the tagline of Catholic memes is our goal is to evangelize through the means of memes. So if you're evangelizing your and your message could be interpreted as the Jews are responsible for killing Jesus. That is not the message the new evangelization should be about. You can find a really great article from our engineer, Angelo Canta, um, at americamagazine.org, and that's going to be in our show notes, uh, sort of breaking down what happened, and uh, Angelo has some really great analysis there. What's next, Olga? So I wanted to bring this story because I thought some of our listeners might... um be as surprised as I was to discover that you can't have a Catholic wedding outside of no, a church. No, Olga, no beach wedding. I know, I know. I Honestly, I thought that as long as a priest was present, then it counted as a Catholic wedding. But mm-hmm. canon law says that marriages performed by a priest are meant to be celebrated in the bride or groom's parish church. But some good news coming out of the Archdiocese of Baltimore for those people looking for their beach weddings. <laughs> um, they recently launched a 12-month trial period where they're going to allow couples who seek permission to have their weddings in non-church places. And one of the things I found interesting is that they noted they were doing this in an effort to evangelize young adults. And there's a, a huge problem they're trying to solve in that in 1990, there were 326,000 weddings in the Catholic Church. Whereas in 2016, that number fell to 145,000. 
And this wow. is at a, like the Catholic. I know we hear about the church like shrinking, but the absolute number of, of Catholics has actually gone up during that period. So the fact that the number of weddings has gone down means that there are people who identify as Catholic who are choosing not to get married in the church. And so if the church wants to like hold on to those people, meeting them where they're at, whether that's a field with a nice barn or a beach with a nice cabana for their wedding. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a good thing. I personally would, I still want to get married in a church. Well, uh, and there are, there are really good reasons why you should get married in a church. And there's a reason there's, there are good reasons why the church had this rule. Right. But the thing that um, I was just like so excited to see was that they were willing to have an experiment to begin with. Right. right? Like you could look at this 12 month trial period and say, Oh, they're just going to, you know, take it away at the end. But the fact that they're changing their practice because of a problem and they're doing an experiment. To and see they listen. They listen to prisoners who right, were like, right. this is what we want. <laughs> yep. And it is important to note that there are still a couple places off limits. Right. So you can't get married at a bar, a nightclub or a boat. Or a boat because they're worried that the boat might like drift a little outside of the, the limits of the archdiocese and then it would be invalid. Hmm. Very practical consideration. Seems like you could just tie a boat up, but I don't know. What do I know? You're from Ohio. <laughs> That's a good point. What do point. you know about boats? Uh, there are plenty of boats on Lake Erie. <laughs> I will not hear no slander. All right. What's next, Zach? So uh, I wanted to bring this story because uh, I posed it to our Facebook group, and there is some very robust discussion that was happening there at facebook.com slash group slash Jesuitical. Uh, but there's a new study that was put out by the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, which one of our Facebook members pointed out, is a pro-charter school think tank. So be aware of that. Uh, that showed that students who were enrolled in Catholic schools might have uh, have higher self-control than students who don't go to Catholic school. Now, Anecdotally, as someone who went to public school, I can say that's true. And this, I was going to say, this is why I can eat an entire bag of Doritos, even not, though I do not want to. And I want to say to our listeners, it's as someone who is Catholic school educated, it is really hard to have to keep these two in control <laughs> every week. Um, I, I note that our wine glasses are empty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Olga's had enough self-control to make it last through the entire show. But no, all jokes aside, as someone who did go to Catholic school, like I had a lot of kids who like seem to lack self-control and self-discipline. So I find this study to be kind of like, I don't know. I don't agree with it. You know, the, the, the science is very questionable. Yeah, yeah. extremely. And, no, the, and the authors point out that this is, you know, correlation does not equal causation. And there is they are just saying there is a correlation between this very like selected group because there's self-selection going on. Right. Parents who choose to send their kids to Catholic school are going to be a different kind of family than those who mm -hmm. choose not to. Um, so you have to take that into account when looking at the outcomes. Yeah. And if you, again, if you want to check out the uh, rest of the discussion or contribute your own thoughts, uh, check out facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. So joining us via Skype is Jeremy McClellan. He is a comedian from South Carolina, and he was just honored as a new face of comedy at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. Welcome to Jesuitical, Jeremy. Thank you. I'm very, very honored to be here. We're very, very excited to have you here. So uh, first question, you've had a very fascinating career trajectory career trajectory you lived in yeah, a large if you want if you want to call it a trajectory <laughs> <laughs> we do we do that, so that implies some sort of line and like if you, 
because I'm planning. Of, right. Aligned, then please tell me because I have no, <laughs> I have no concept of how things have gone. So you lived in a large community. You were a mental health counselor, and now you're a comedian. Yeah. So why did you pivot uh, to comedy? Sounds like you went from meaningful I, things to to not. <laughs> was, right? it, was it just too fulfilling? <laughs> it, was, it was too great. Uh, no, I, I I spent you know most of my life working with people with disabilities, and I lived in Larsh for uh, three years in Chicago. And what is Larsh for maybe our listeners who don't know? Uh, Larsh is a network of intentional communities started in France by um, a guy named Jean Vanier, who uh, who invited some people with intellectual disabilities to come from an institution to come live with him, and so then it just grew in France. So if you go to France, if you go to Trolley, um, it's still there. Uh, it's a giant commune. Of people, it's like the uh, like a city almost of people with disabilities. Um, but a large is, uh, you know, as opposed to like a group home where people come in and out and they work there. Um, large is a, a intentional community where people with and without intellectual disabilities live together. And and so you were in the Chicago one. I was in the Chicago one for three years. Yeah. After large, I moved back home to Charleston, uh, South Carolina, um, where I started working for the Disabilities Board of Charleston. Um, and uh, but then also just. Just I had all these thoughts and all these opinions, and um, I was sort of adrift and uh, but like passionate. And um, I had some friends who were comedians who were like, "You should, you should try comedy." And like the bar that I would go to had comedy night, and I was like, "These guys aren't very good." And um, <laughs> so, uh, which is not I, I we joke about that now, but I'm like, that's not the best. It's not the most humble way to start a profession. But um, I just started doing it, and then I it, it kind of caught on. You mentioned all these uh, thoughts and opinions, and you are kind of yeah. hard to uh, to put in a box politically. Good. <laughs> uh, Zach pulled up this great tweet, or I guess Facebook post that you had uh, in August of last year. It said, in the last few hours, I've been called an anti-Semite, a Zionist, an ISIS mm-hmm. sympathizer, a secret Muslim, a Democrat, and a Trump supporter. That's offensive. I would never be a Trump supporter. Uh, yeah, so- <laughs> So, how, like, how would you describe yourself politically, and how does that funk or work its I don't way know. into your I mean, comedy? I, I'm sort of all up in the air um, at the moment. I, 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 I was a, a libertarian for a very long time, and um, that's I was right. Very You're still skeptical. welcome here. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was very skeptical of the state and stuff, and I like I went on tour with Gary Johnson, right? Oh wow! But I'm very disillusioned uh, with it. Um, so I don't, I don't buy like the majority of the libertarian. Uh, like way of thinking, and you you just recently converted to Catholicism, right? So has, I did. Has that has that faith journey kind of tempered your libertarianism? Yeah, well, it has. It has. I don't know. I mean, I, I've I've I was a libertarian, like not because I was a you know a proponent of the of the ideology so much as I I really agreed with a lot of the stances on immigration and foreign policy and civil liberties. Uh, but but it, it was never for the same reasons. You know, there, there wasn't this sort of like absolute kind of understanding of self-ownership or, um, uh, you know, taxation being theft. But uh, but yeah, I mean, right now I'm just kind of. Yeah, we didn't know. mean to get know. like too deep into the political weeds. <laughs> Ashley, Ashley, yeah. Ashley definitely did. <laughs> uh, yeah. I could go back to your your career trajectory a little bit. I mean, like uh-huh. working in large mental health, mental health counseling. Those are things that people mm-hmm. obviously think of. I, I think who go into those fields think of as vocations. Do you think mm-hmm. that your your move to comedy? Do you think of yourself as uh, living out of vocation as a comedian? I do. I mean, there's there's uh, I, I I definitely have a sense of, of purpose, and um, I think that comedy is is a unique viewpoint on the world that can. Um, 
be of service to others. Um, and depending on, and also just, you know, what, what, like what kinds of things you talk about and how you use your platform. So people who don't, who aren't familiar with your work, like what do you, what do you like to joke about and why? Uh, I like talking about religion a lot. Um, I have, uh, especially relations between Christians and Muslims, um, is something that I'm really interested in and that I've been involved with in several years. Did you convert from Islam? No, 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 no. I was, I was Anglican. So Jeremy, as a convert, you've looked at the church outside and inside does that Mm -hmm. kind of make it easier for you to lovingly poke fun at some of the church's absurdities um a a little bit but i have i have some convert syndrome you know like you know how converts (laughs) they're always like like the church too much (laughs) i like the church too much right and it's this great thing and and it's and then then you get in and you're like oh okay no this is uh once you learn the secret handshake it's uh yeah it's totally different (laughs) you were talking earlier about like choosing what jokes you tell what jokes you don't tell uh do you think that your your past experiences and 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 mental health influence those decisions i mean it it, it's it's connected in the sense of uh empathy and trying to see things from Mm -hmm. people's perspective from the inside do you think that always gets done in comedy no but i mean like if if you're a good comedian it does i think that in order to make someone laugh you have to actually get them there's a sort of thing that goes on in, in a set where um, you're walking someone through an experience or you're talking about their experience. And if you can do it, if you can make someone laugh, because laughter is involuntary. It's not some mechanical thing that someone can do. They can pretend that you're funny. Um, so if you can do that, then you've connected with them. And it was the same thing, you know, working with people with disabilities. If there was someone who was like nonverbal or someone who, you know, was very difficult and uh, you somehow figured out and formed a relationship and you made that connection. And you know, it, sometimes it would take a year to be able to make that connection. But if you're good at it, you, you develop sort of these practices of entering into other people's world that like, enables you to be a good comedian. Yeah. Having followed you on social media, one thing I've noticed um, that I think speaks to to this empathy is that you you mix very seamlessly your comedy uh, with really uh, moving reflections on things like mental illness and depression, Mm -hmm. um, especially in this past week in the wake of a number of high profile suicides. You've been open about your own struggle with depression. Um, Yeah. What, what, why did you feel like you wanted to share your experience and, and not just like like on a page that's like a, com- a comedian page? Right, yeah. And that's always, <laughs> I'm always like, should I change the name? Because like, <laughs> yeah. make me laugh. <laughs> it's Jeremy McClellan comedy and yeah. I'll post things, but I don't really care. It's been up forever. So yeah. I just have it like that. But, but no, um, I think that, uh, I mean, it's one of those things where um, you, you think that it's not good to talk about and you think that, oh, if I say this, if I admit that I've been suicidal or that uh, I've suffered from depression, sh- struggle with depression, that people won't like you or something, right? And uh, that's, that's nonsense. Um, but it's, especially when it comes to suicide and mental health, I, I think people assume that, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain was like, he was, he was depressed. And then uh, at some point he decided to kill himself. And so he did. Um, and you don't see the entire life of struggle. You don't see like the fact that he could have done it 30 years ago. And instead, he, he, he made a decision every single day. And that's why we have Anthony Bourdain. Like, that's why he made it to 61, 
was because he was he 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 struggled with it. it was because he got help he 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 got sober and he quit heroin quit cocaine and like you can do that too like you can you can uh so i i feel like a, a, a lot of it was sort of you know very disempowering um Right. I, 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 um, I have a cousin who committed suicide a few years ago. And one of the things that we as a family discovered afterwards was that we didn't know how to talk about it because half of my family mm-hmm. was very much like, well, he's a coward. He gave up. And it was like, mm-hmm. no, that's not the language that you have to be using. And that was really when I learned to be like, this is a struggle that he had been going through for 25 mm-hmm. years, you know, and then one day decided that he couldn't do it anymore. But I think like right. before that, I wasn't able to put myself into that into that other person's shoes. And I think that when we see figures like you, public figures who are so vocal about it, even if it's uncomfortable to kind of have these conversations, it's so mm-hmm. necessary because I'm Dominican and like it's mental health illness is so stigmatized in our community. Uh-huh. So it, it's it's so important to have these kind of conversations. Yeah, no, I, I've reading your posts were actually really helpful for me. It's something that's affected my family. Um, Like a loved one has attempted to commit suicide. And now it's like, Mm -hmm. I like, I'm afraid to just like talk about it. Cause like, you think like Mm -hmm. if you say the wrong thing, you're going to make them try again. And it's right. And that's not true. And so, and and you, you explicitly said that (laughs) on your page. Yeah. It's not (laughs) true. Yeah. And you've said that religion can be a protection against suicide. And you can, obviously you can't like, pray depression away but what role right. could religious practice play i mean i i think being religious is is good because like you are actually connecting to god um but if if it's not that the secular explanation is that um it gives people a sense of purpose in life it uh enables them to have practices so that they are there's something like concrete that they do every day or something concrete that they do um every week uh but also it connects people to each other um, and so those types of things uh, reduce the risk of, of suicide. Uh, but there's 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 tons of risk factors that all go into it, and there's tons of stuff that you can do <clears throat> that um, that can lessen the risk of suicide. Um, but you know, first, m- m- mostly get rid of any gun you have in the house is a big one. Yeah. So sorry, we have taken you all over the place. Yes. With no, this please, interview. please, let's keep going. I can do this forever. <laughs> It started it. It started with like are libertarian, you a libertarian? <laughs> and then it ended with you need to get rid of your guns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but ho- hopefully, the last question is is the easiest for you. Um, if okay. you could canonize anyone, uh, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, uh, who would it be and why? It would be Jean Vanier. Um, I think that yeah, without it, without a question. And I think that uh, when he does pass away, because he's he's pretty old, um, I think that he's got a good case. Uh, I'm sure there's there's lots of people whose lives have been completely changed by him and who uh, who have been changed by Lars. So uh, that's my that's my uh, that's my guess. That did sound pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For an answer. Well, no, because I knew you asked that, and I was like, it's, you were "I'm prepped. totally going to be." Yeah, but what if you right? told we told you that Jim Martin had already put him up for canonization on the show, oh, so you had he? to choose someone else? Yeah. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, okay. So. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> is it too is it too early to say myself? Is that is it too I think I think suggesting yourself it means you're not. I feel like the yeah. question is, would your wife put you up for canonization? Oh, that, that's a better that. indicator, right? <laughs> if you yeah. I, I think I think who whoever whoever's the devil's advocate uh on you know at the, at the canonization would just be like, he once suggested himself for canonization. Yeah. And then that's automatic. Throw it out, throw it out right, there. You're done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's the end. 
Jeremy, thank you so much. We want to just say uh, for our listeners that uh, if uh, you're thinking about suicide and you need to talk to someone, uh, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much yeah, for thank you, oh, thank for you being guys. so thank open. You. Yeah, for being on the show. and for Had a great coming. time. Yeah. And keep the uh, dad posts coming. Yeah. And yes, yeah, please do. I will. Where, where can people find your work? Uh, I'm just, I'm just like Google me online and, uh, <laughs> and then, follow all the you know, things. Fo- fo- yeah, follow me on social media and, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm taking like a break now cause a baby mm. and then, but then after that, like, you know, in a few weeks I'll, I'll be back out. So we'll have that out. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jeremy. Cool. Thanks guys. All right, now it's time for some listener feedback. So exciting news. Uh, we broke 600 bucks on Patreon. Woo! So thank you so much to uh, our VIP, Tom Tancredi, who was the person to put us over the $600 nice. mark. Nice, thanks, so, Tom. Yep, again, thank you guys so much. Uh, this helps support the show. Uh, we can't do it without you. And that's $600 a month. And it's not just giving money to Jesuitical, though that is a key part of it. It's also being a part of a community. Um, we send out swag bags. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we have uh, monthly chats over Google Hangout. We have some sweet uh, lens, which is the Patreon version of uh, Snapchat. So again, you can see me offering up wine expertise <laughs> uh, on occasion. You need that in your life. <laughs> you don't know it yet, but <laughs> we promise. So again, you can check out information about that at patreon.com slash America Media. All right, now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? So this week, I've got a desolation. Uh, Last week, I was catching up with an old friend uh, who I hadn't seen in a while. And the last time we were together, he was somewhere between passively and actively exploring Catholicism. Um, But while we were catching up, it sort of became clear that uh, he he was going to have some doctrinal issues with certain parts of Catholicism, and also that he had recently encountered some some people and some some buildings that were, A, not super welcoming to him, and B, didn't do a great job explaining some of the fullness of these complicated teachings. Um, and I feel like if I were in the same city as him, I'd be able to sort of accompany him through some of these hard things, uh, but I'm not there, and we don't talk a lot. Uh, and so now I'm called to trust other people to do those things, and I'm not really convinced that they will. Um, and I feel like this is sort of like uh, when your friends or even your romantic partners are introduced to some of the weird parts of your family for the first time, right? Like everyone, everyone has those. And it's not that you don't, they're not your family or you don't love them, but you just sort of want to be there to like explain the whole context and why they are the way they are so that they can like love them the way that you do, or at least see them through your eyes. Mm. Um, and I don't necessarily trust he's going to meet the right people who are going to do that and show them the beauty of Catholicism. Yeah. So would you say the desolation is in that lack of trust? Yeah. And that's the desolation. It's not being able to trust God. Because even as I say that, I know there's an obvious call to trust God still working in his life and that it's a surprise, not all about me being able to do that. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) What do you got, Ashley? I have a consolation. So I was also 
uh, catching up with an old friend this weekend. Uh, my best friend came to visit me in New York. We've been best friends for approximately 27 years and two months. So um, basically since <laughs> you were born. Yes. Um, but for since college, she's lived in California. And so there's there's been some distance between us. Um, and she came this weekend and it was the first time we've had some like real quality time in a long time. Um, and they say like, oh, you, 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 with your best friends, like you can see them a year later and nothing's changed but for me something had changed for the better which is was amazing to see that even with distance and time apart our friendship can grow and that's that this was probably one-sided but I feel like in high school and college are there was a degree of like competition and jealousy and comparing myself to her in our friendship that always got in the way of just just loving her as a friend. Uh, I think this is probably common in a lot of female friendships. Um, and when I was with her this weekend, that it that I guess just I've gotten older and more mature, and and that that comparing and competition and jealousy that oh she's prettier than me, she's funnier than me, she's right. more successful than me had just fallen away, and I could just like see my best friend as like the beautiful god created person that she is right. and not let my own mm-hmm. nonsense get in the way of seeing that and so the consolation was like that evil spirit that used to be there mm-hmm. being gone and then just like gratitude for like our friendship growing um over all these years so so that was very consoling right right and it's empowering when you reach that point as a woman with like your mm-hmm. other female friendships where you're just like i just love you yeah <laughs> and like i don't care i'm not the catty person i was in high school mm-hmm. and it's beautiful Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. All right, Olga, what do you have? This week I've got a desolation. Um, So this is tied to something that happened to my friend last week. He works in Midtown, and he was walking before work. Um, And he's Puerto Rican. He was walking. There was a black man next to him. And this white guy on a bike shouted the N-word at them, like, as they were going to work. Um, And they don't, my friend and the guy next to him, they don't know each other. And they kind of just stood there and were just like, did this really just happen to us? Um, and at first he was very private about it, but then he shared it with me and some other friends. And we've kind of like helped him process and go through it together because, you know, unfortunately this isn't the first time it's happened to him. It's not the first time it's happened to any of us. Um, so we've kind of learned how to process these things together. And, but what's been desolating about this moment is that it just reminds me and my friends of like, Racism is this shared trauma that we have to experience every so often. And sometimes we're really good at it and we're just like, whatever, we can shrug this off. Other times it becomes very difficult to kind of remove ourselves from that moment. And I think the desolation for me has been that when these moments happen, I just retreat to this place of despair where I become like, you know, I just where I think to myself, I just want to be surrounded by other people of color who get it. I don't want to be in white spaces where like, you know, something, an incident that happened a week ago, I'm still processing it a week later and like, a co-worker of mine could be making a joke and I'm like, how can you be laughing when like this awful thing has happened to us, you know? Um, and it's been really hard to kind of pull myself from that moment. And it's just I have felt very, very hopeless. And it's just been very difficult to kind of find God in this moment, you know? Yeah. Mm. Thanks for sharing, Olga. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by J.D. Combs. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering and Design by Angelou Jesus Kanta. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to B. Shill and Sean McElwee. 
You can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week.